One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is, is CEOs and senior leaders or senior managers, sorry, are really great at saying it's the most important thing. And yet when you ask them, well, how much you spend and how much time are you taking on your culture? They're like, oh, well, we've got a learning and development budget of X dollars. And it's like, yeah, that's that's not it. That's only, that's only one small part of it. I think most of them uh, expect it to magically evolve. So they'll say it's the most important thing. Um, but then they'll they'll expect one or two charismatic people to have a huge effect on it and hope that it just evolves itself in, into something unique, something different and something that, that works. And it, it, that just doesn't happen. You have to be like most things in life. You have to be very deliberate about its creation, about its evolution uh, in order to set the tone for, for, I guess, the environment that you need to create to be successful. And it's something that we've seen during during COVID is teams had to change and organizations had to change overnight. The ones that were deliberate about their culture prior to COVID found it very, very easy to change. Uh, for everybody else, most of them are still struggling to do it. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Colin. Now you're going to hear a lot from Colin fact that's what the episode is about calling educating you on the importance of building a culture and i found a lot of the things he said very poignant to today and i think they're applicable to any system any system that you participate in whether it's in the workplace whether it's in the education institution whether it's in your family and please 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 do not underestimate the power of what creating a powerful culture can do and the long-standing effects that they have that's my hope for you with this episode Hope you enjoyed. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. Today, I'm talking to Colin D. Ellis, who is a renowned culture change expert with 30 plus years of experience of transforming organizations all around the world. His new book is called Culture Fix How to Create a Great Place to Work. And I'm really excited for this, not only because it's something that I, I am involved in as well with my line of work, but I do think people and organizations are thinking that they can't create great places to work right now, given the current situation. So I'm very excited to hear his thoughts on this. Welcome to the show, Colin. Thanks, Tao. It's great to be here, my friend. The pleasure is mine. So let's do a deep dive. Let's go back to early Colin, right? So (laughs) you are, are you from Australia or just based in Australia right now? No. Australia is home now, Teo. I'm originally from uh, Liverpool in uh, the UK, home of the Beatles, of course. Oh, gosh. Yeah. You, you know, you, you said home of the Beatles. I was thinking something else because, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a deep Manchester United fan. Uh, oh, man. Well, 
Let's spend <laughs> let's spend the podcast talking about football. Yeah, I mean, when you when you grow up in Liverpool, like it, it you either become a footballer, a musician, or you leave. Uh, so it's one of those three things. So I left. Um, so you left. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you're not you're not involved in the rivalry between Manchester United and Liverpool, then. Well, if you're born if you're born in Liverpool, you support a team called Everton. There are two teams in Liverpool: there's Liverpool and Everton, right? So, if you're born in Liverpool, you support Everton. If you're born in I don't know New York, you support Liverpool or Man United. So, oh, you know, that's the way it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a big so, Everton. Fan. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I so I'm from Nigeria, and in obviously Nigeria, we I grew up calling what people call soccer here football that's right and uh my uh yeah my my love affair with manson United started i think with the class of david beckham and and and, uh the whole team gary neville and 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 everyone so yes ah okay well at least it's safe it's safe to continue this conversation now (laughs) we're all good we're all good yeah (laughs) So you were saying before I interrupted, you you so Liverpool, up, yeah, yeah, grew up in Liverpool. Liverpool was home. Um, didn't do very well in in school. Tail wasn't really my thing, education, and uh, I just wanted I just wanted a job to earn money to buy records. That was just my sole purpose in life. And then uh, and then you know started started working. Yeah, found that I really enjoyed interacting with people and customers and. And then really kicked on from there. But I think I think everything changed for me in the late nineties. I, I was asked to become a project manager. I didn't really know what a project manager was, if I'm honest. The world was going through this year two thousand meltdown, and uh, and so I, I got involved in that. Kind of had to learn the ropes pretty quickly. But even though I'd been part of good teams, that was my first opportunity to create teams myself. And so kind of everything changed after that. I found that I, I loved being in, in those high pressure situations, taking risk, you know, really fostering a sense of belonging between different teammates. Um, and yeah, so I kind of rose up the ranks. I was working for a newspaper there, rose up the ranks there, then went to work for a clothing retailing company in the UK. And then we emigrated to New Zealand in 2007. I was offered a couple of jobs. And at that time we had a, we had a, a young, a young boy, we had another one on the way and so it felt like the right thing to do to move to New Zealand and then six years there for me working in in government and then uh, we emigrated to Australia in 2013 and we've been here ever since. That's that's incredible and I love stories like that because one of the things that you recognized which is a great self-awareness on your part is you recognize that the traditional schooling as it was wasn't your thing it wasn't something that you you are interested in but you were interested in people and and you, I think you even stumbled upon that by following your curiosity. You took on something that was a job, something to do. And in the process of that, I think you extrapolated the concepts you liked about that. And then you started intentionally looking for those things as you moved in different parts of the world, it seems. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. I, you know... When when I was at school, back when I was at school, not that I remember too much about it now, Teo, uh, but <laughs> I, I was one of these kids that had plenty of potential, but kind of didn't know how to apply themselves. I was quite a good football player, so I thought that I would become a footballer. That didn't happen. I then kind of just drifted from one idea to the next. And I think I see the same in my in my son right now. He's uh, he's almost 14. Um, but I, I don't think that they taught us enough at school and they still don't teach enough in school about some of those crucial elements of how to survive in the business world. So things like communication skills, things like listening skills, all of these things become crucially important. 
And so I found that when I started work, it was kind of a real rapid development for me because some of the things that I'd learned about were just not relevant. You know, kind of yeah. I, I was doing I was doing maths on a calculator. Uh, all of the history stuff that I was doing kind of wasn't relevant at all. And yet I hadn't learned any of the things that I actually needed is is how do I communicate to people who aren't me? If someone's really boring, how do I listen to them without getting distracted? Still have that problem. Um, and, <laughs> and and so I think that, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is help our kids. We, 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 want, we want them to make sure, and they're third culture kids as well, of course, because all of the cultural references that we had are from the UK. Yeah. They've grown up in New Zealand and Australia. They've, they're kind of developing their own cultural skills trying to almost ignore the references that we're giving them um but you know we want to make sure that they learn as they should learn but we're also as parents trying to give them the life skills at the same time so that they're better prepared for work yeah no i love that i love that and i i wanted to set that context for the audience because i want i like to give the audience just a perspective on how the uh the guests thinks because your big idea is you're saying business leaders are aware that their organization's viability directly relates to its culture. And, uh, you know, you said the research shows 92% of senior executives cite culture as a critical driver to their company, yet only 16% say that culture is exactly, you know, that their culture is exactly where it should be. So if most people know that culture is a big driver, how come a lot of people have fallen short on creating that company culture that they so desire? It's a great question, Teo. I and it, and it continually baffles me. Is is CEOs and senior leaders or senior managers, sorry, are really great at saying it's the most important thing, and yet when you ask them, well, how much are you spending, how much time are you taking on your culture, they're like, oh, well, we've got a learning and development budget of X dollars, and it's like, yeah, that's that's not it. That's only it's only one small part of it. I think most of them uh, expect it to magically evolve, so they'll say it's the most important thing. Um, but then they'll they'll expect one or two charismatic people to have a huge effect on it and hope that it just evolves itself in, into something unique, something different and something that, that works. And it, it, that just doesn't happen. You have to be like most things in life. You have to be very deliberate about its creation, about its evolution. Uh, in order to set the tone for, for, I guess, the environment that you need to create to be successful. And it's something that we've seen during during COVID is teams had to change and organizations had to change overnight. The ones that were deliberate about their culture prior to COVID found it very, very easy to change. Uh, for everybody else, most of them are still struggling to do it. Yeah, and, and you're so right with this. So, I, I, and I, I agree with you. Even though I work as a consultant, which I, I love that you stressed this in your, in your, in your book. You said you shouldn't rely on a consultant. I, because mm. I say the same thing to companies where, when they ask me to come on to to, to work with them, I, I ask them if this is going to be a one-off or if you just think that this is going to be an inspiring speech and then you're not going to do anything else about it. I just want to let you know up front that this isn't going to get you that desired change because there isn't a structure in place and it's not going to become a habit. But if you feel like this is a something that you truly want to do, you have to figure it out to empower the audience and and your your sorry your employees, but also you know back it up with your with your finances and your investment and then the actions because then it's going to become this. We hear you say this every time around this time of the year, 
and we might buy into it for the first week and then it fades away afterwards. So I, mm. I, I, I love that you brought that. And you have six pillars. You said six pillars. Yeah, uh, I, I do. I, I have six pillars for workplace culture, which are, which are really based on, you know, I researched all the great workplace cultures around the world. But then I've, you know, I worked in cultures for 30 years. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm really well placed to know what works and what doesn't. Um, you know, and, and I, I always stress that I'm not a consultant um, because one of the things that I want to do is to, to help people. Um, and, you know, whenever I talk to C- uh, CEOs or senior managers and, you know, often they'll say, oh, we want you to help us change it. I say, OK, well, how much are you prepared to change yourself? And then how much money and time are you going to put behind this initiative? And if I don't get the answer that I'm looking for, then I generally say, oh, this is this is not for you. you you're looking for a quick fix. And usually it's what it's in one of those kind of six pillar areas that they're looking for a quick fix when actually every kind of all elements of it need work. But I want to know that they're committed to it at the start tail before I before I start working, because otherwise what happens is is, you know, they want, oh, can you just come in and do a two-day training course? I'm like, well, I kind of can, but, you know, what's the plan after that to, to kind of keep it going? Plus, I'm not really training you. I'm giving you the skills to create something yourself. Um, and I want you to do it while I'm actually there. Um, because only then have you got something actually you can take, you know, the, we can define those six pillars and the rubber can hit the road immediately. And then we can talk about accountability and then we can talk about evolution. But until then, what you want to do is buy something off the shelf. We, we, we've seen the same with agile recently. Everyone's going agile, but they don't really understand what it means. Um, and, and so you want to see that commitment because only with that commitment to personal change and personal development um, do, at the very top, do you get it below the no, I say the same thing. So it's it's, it's refreshing to hear, um, uh, you know, um, you say that as well, especially given the years of experience you have. But w- w- even okay, let's let's say someone's listening. This mm. is a CEO. This is a senior executive, and they 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 do want to know. They're curious about the six pillars, though. I mean, you don't have mm. to dive into it in depth because I want the audience to get the book. But what are the the actual six pillars that you would say if uh, you could name them? Sure. Yeah. So, so the the first pillar is personality and communication because the way into any culture is through its people. So if the people don't understand each other and don't know how to communicate a message in different ways to different personalities, you've kind of lost before you've even started. And, and, and so organizations are great at doing things like personality surveys, but, but the, the, it never really changes the dynamic of the way people interact. So that's the first thing. Cause you know, that's, that's something that you see when you go for an interview, that's something you see in the everyday interactions and then the second pillar is vision at the heart of every great culture is an aspirational statement of the future something short sharp meaningful achievable but just a little bit out of reach it's got to feel like a stretch target right because if it's too easy to get there then it's not really a vision also if it's too difficult or doesn't really mean anything it's just going to confuse the heck out of people tell so it's got to be short sharp and 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 kind of have that sense of challenge so that's that's the second one. The third one is, is values, and and these the values provide emotional direction. These are the things that inform our decision making. These are the things that inform our hiring. Because what we want to do is we want to hire people who share our values. 
because then what you do is create connection and a sense of belonging. When you create a sense of belonging, it increases motivation and inspiration. And of course, you get the results that you're looking for. So a, a strong set of values, again, not generic statements. There's so many organizations that bring in branding consultants rather than use their own people to define this stuff. And then they wonder why they're rejected by the staff. It's like, well, because you haven't, they haven't been involved in the creation. The, the fourth pillar is around uh, behavior uh, because human behavior dictates pretty much everything that happens within our culture. So you need to agree what are the behaviors that we expect of each other. Now, those behaviors may differ from team to team. They may differ from year to year. So it's important that you set the behaviors for now. Most, most uh, CEOs, organizations, they have a set and forget approach to culture. Let's set it now and then we're done for the next five years. Well, cultures evolve naturally. And, and in order to, to evolve them positively, you have to take deliberate action. And those behaviors, uh, they kind of hold people to account in terms of well, what's acceptable in terms of your performance and the way that you interact with other human beings. Uh, the fifth one is collaboration. So how we work together, that agreement on the processes that we need, the systems that we use, the technology that supports us, the workspace we design, whether people are in the office, out of the office. Um, but really those daily, weekly, monthly interactions in order to achieve our goals. And then the very last pillar is innovation, is how are we making time for new ideas? How are we making time to be creative? Mm. And what are we learning from failure? You know, what are those things that we're doing to make sure that we don't make the same mistakes over and over again? And so, you know, the research shows that if, if you've got all of those six pillars and people are held account to them, you have a vibrant workplace culture that can that continually hits its results. I, mean, I love all that, and I I one hundred percent agree. One of the things that you and I talked about though before this was that because of COVID, you're hearing a lot of companies even scramble because I don't know how I'm going to do this for remote employees. So I was thinking about one of the things you said. How would you then assess something like a performance evaluation um, for your remote employees now? with this because if a company didn't do a good job of setting up that company culture before this i, I imagine it's going to be increasingly tough to figure out how to i guess um evaluate employees and then motivate employees in a remote format yeah it is it's not it's not impossible so uh, you know kind of a lot of the work that i've done during COVID, because a lot of my, the, the lot of the work that i do of course is large groups of people you know i'm a conference speaker i've not been doing any of that uh, except virtually <laughs> you know what i'm talking about yes. uh and and so you know i kind of opened up my calendar gave my time away for free and and so most of the conversations i've been having with teams around the world is that all right, we're remote. How do we set our culture up for success? And I say, okay, well, what do you do to define your culture beforehand? It's like nothing. Okay, right. So you're almost starting from scratch. I mean, it's one of those things that, that, that can be done. I think the important thing to point out right now is this is not a normal remote scenario. You know, we had uh, Jack, uh, Jack Dorsey at Twitter came out yesterday and said, if people want to work from home forever, they can do, which is cool, right? And I love that. And, and there have been so many poorly behaving people getting in the way of workplace flexibility. But this right now is not normal. And so you might really enjoy working from home right now because you've got your family around you. What happens when you're, when, you know, when you're, um, your wife's back at work, your kids are back at school and you're sat at home on your own? 
is that still going to be the same? Are you still going to feel the same? Yeah. Um, but you still have to you still have to agree those kind of core uh, pillars for workplace culture. So you still need a vision. You still need you, the, generally the vision and the values are set at an organization level. So I've been encouraging teams to agree a set of behaviors and the way that they're going to work together. Because overnight we went from back to back meetings, which is a nonsense to everything on Zoom, which is also a nonsense because teams didn't agree how they would work together, how they would stay connected. Um, so, you know, right right now, you know, I'm advising teams agree a core set of behaviors between three and five and some principles about the way that you'll collaborate. What will you use? When will you use it? How will you set expectations and how will you hold each other to those such that the business keeps moving forward? Yeah, I, I, I'm hearing you know, allowing for flexibility because I, I'm doing the same thing you're doing, you know, right before COVID, I was set to go on a few, you know, speaking <laughs> engagements. And I was like, yeah, March, April, this is coming out. And then bam. And then all of a sudden, um, you know, you obviously you get a lot of requests from people because everyone is scrambling and saying, wait, remote, what is remote? I've never done this. If you know, especially organizations that have never done that, but the same thing, I, I opened up a lot of my calendar because I, I actually was very curious about this because I've never experienced a global pandemic before. <laughs> so <laughs> I, 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 I wanted to collect and gather information. And the things that I got in based on my research were, I don't know how to be productive or how to manage productivity. I'm a micromanager. And so it's better for me when I can see my employee doing something because I can correct that person. Or mm. we have several people in our team who are at different stages. I trust this person, but not that person. This person is a new hire. We didn't finish this. And so those things. So I, I, I yeah, I definitely can see how the, the, the pillars are because certainly those are the strongest foundations to have. And division will definitely help you to understand what they're doing. But it sounds like you're also saying, given that this is not even a normal uh, remote situation, there needs to be some flexibility where you are able to meet somewhere in the middle and discuss expectations versus, uh, you know, ability to work within those parameters. Uh, and, and yeah, I guess yeah, that's I mean, yeah, flexibility, you know, what would be great post-COVID is that, flexi you know, flexible working became mainstream. Um, it, it, it's always bothered me that it, it had to be approved by someone high up. And, mm -hmm. you know, I... It, that sense that trust wasn't assumed within cultures. Now, in the great workplace cultures, trust is assumed. You get to design your own day. You get to design your own week. But if you don't deliver, Teo, you're out of a job. Yeah. So the, all these great cultures around the world are brutal if you don't deliver, and rightly so. But that's why they're great. Why they're great is they give their employees every kind of opportunity uh, to grow, to succeed, all of that stuff. But if you don't do the job, you're out. Most most stagnant cultures, or I call them combatant cultures, is you can get away with not delivering, and we make excuses for it, and we walk past it. Um, but most managers aren't great at setting expectation in the right way. Instead, what they want to do, exactly as you said, is they want to micromanage in a nine-to-five office environment you know, open plan, right? I'm just going to quickly mention open plan. Open plan is proven not to work. 
and yet organizations do it because they think it improves collaboration. It doesn't. It just makes people more visible, literally more visible in the office. Also, it's now really bad because we've proven that it's a great way to spread disease. So it'll be interesting to see if they dial that back. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, anyone that doesn't is not a fan of open plan can just say, look, I don't look. want to contract yeah. any disease. <laughs> Hot desk kid. Hot, like Ed, hot desk in proven skill collaboration also wow. spreads disease. So dial up, dial up right back. Um, so, yeah, so what we did was we pulled down barriers to make people more visible so that managers who had a trust issue could see people. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's about fixing the skill set of managers uh, in order to make flexibility uh, mainstream because, you know, right now, I think we, we've seen what the COVID crisis showed more than anything else is that there are a bunch of people in leadership positions who barely know how to manage. That And it's very important to, to distinguish between lead, leading and managing, by the way, because you're so right. That's the point. You know, a lot of people could be appointed leadership positions, but when you don't know how to manage people or work with people from different backgrounds, it is so evident. Now, one of the things that I, I don't know if you agree with this, I think a core element of learn how to manage or, or even lead the, 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 that, that intersection is being able to communicate, but also being able to be vulnerable. I, I think a lot of people now, but, you know, felt like they couldn't be honest with their employees because it would be a sign of weakness. And so, you know, they'll take on a lot of things and they won't admit that there's a sense of overwhelm and, and stress that's affecting them. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone, and I, I found that there's more respect when you just say, Look, this is where we are. We could be better, but this is how we're feeling. I want to invite collaboration from all of you and see where you all are and see maybe we can, you know, work within these parameters as opposed to just acting like everything is okay and then, you know, inevitably flaming. I agree with that 100%. And say, oh, vulnerability is a superpower. For too long, it's something that we've kept in a phone box at the edge of a street, not wanting to talk about. Um, it, it, it literally is the way to create human connection. You know, one of the things that I did very early on in the COVID crisis I, is I encourage managers to share their story, share how they're coping with the disease. And one of the great things that we've seen, there haven't been, there haven't been many great world leaders during the crisis. There have been many managers telling us exactly what we can't do, but no, very few leaders being vulnerable, kind of showing us into their world, uh, talking about how they 
been personally affected. Jacinda Ardern, who's the Prime Minister of New Zealand, has excelled in that. She did a Facebook Live session from her home after putting her baby to bed. First thing she did was apologize for the ratty jumper she was wearing, the ratty sweater she was wearing, because she just put her kids to bed. Immediately, it creates creates connection. And I think, you know, one one of the things we want from, from and one of the things that separates managers from leaders is leaders are very good at being just a little bit vulnerable. We're not talking about, we don't need to dish the family dirt. Actually, we do, but at a Christmas party after a couple of beers. Um, <laughs> we, but but we, want to, we want to know a little bit about you, a little bit about how you're coping, which helps us to kind of share too, but also gives us that, I guess, uh, comfort that, that they're just a human being as well. Yeah, look, I'm so glad you brought up Jacinda Ardern because I, I've been fascinated. I am a nerd, so I study leaders all over the world. But I, <laughs> ever since um, the unfortunate situation that, that happened, I think it was a little over a year ago, maybe, yeah, about oh, yeah. Yeah. Christchurch. So I've been just in awe of just how she's handled that. And it, it's what you're saying, the, the, the vulnerability to be herself, because, you know, if you're juxtaposing that with, many leaders around the world, whether it's Boris Johnson or uh, 45 um, here <laughs> in, in, in America. I'm not even trying to be political. I, it's the idea of not being able to admit that something, you know, this is where you are and this is how you go. It, it, it's such, uh, it, it doesn't inspire uh, collaboration unless you already have a base that will do whatever you're doing, like that, that will just support whatever you're saying. And for me, I think it can be dangerous for leaders if they perpetuate dangerous habits, especially mm. now that you can't see that. You know, if you're a leader and someone buys into the cult of who you are, right? You know, like maybe, I don't know, you know, there are many leaders like that. Elon Musk, all these amazing, smart people that have gotten to where they've gotten to. I don't want the rest of the team to model bad behaviors because they've seen how you do it. And then they're just like, that's it. That's it. He, he never said anything. She never said anything. Why would I say this? You know, I don't know if I'm trying to say this and explain this. In the, in the, yeah, you are. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know exactly yeah. what you mean. Yeah. So, yeah. Because, so, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Because um, leaders set the tone. Um, yeah. Right. It, it, and I always, you know, kind of one of the things I always say is that, Leaders don't own the culture. It doesn't matter whether it's a country. It doesn't matter whether it's an organization. It doesn't matter whether it's a team. They don't own the culture. But through the behaviors or through the, the action or inaction, they've got the power to destroy it, yes. completely destroy it, right? So in times of crisis, what we don't want is your opinion. I could care less for your opinion in time of crisis. I want facts, and I want to know what we should be doing, not what we shouldn't be doing. I feel like I'm talking to a mirror. This is exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> it, it is about facts. It, that, is the, that is the best way to just work with someone and be, you know, manage the anxiety. There's, talk about, you, you know, if you want to reveal something by yourself, you can share that you're also dealing, you know, it's, it's a confusing thing, time for you as well. But That's I, right. if you're doing the other thing where you're like, I can't believe this <laughs> We lost less people than the other country. <laughs> like, yeah. Making it a competition. It will uh, be a great success if we only lose this many people. Yeah. Wait, what? Wait, what? <laughs> the boy, it's a success that people are dying? Are you kidding me? You know That is the most – that has been the most – that thing, the lack of humanity is what I'm trying to say. And I'm not – once again, look, anyone can – you know, I, 
I'm sure everybody already knows my 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 uh, how liberal I am. But the one <laughs> thing that and I'm I'm not ashamed of it because I do believe in humanity. But one thing I do want to say to anyone listening, and I, and and I'm hearing you call and say is you cannot forget your humanity or the humanity of the people you lead here. It, you are inevitably going to lead someone that disagrees with you on many aspects, if especially if you're you're growing. But in a time of crisis, the unique thing about a crisis is that everyone is mostly experiencing or being affected by the crisis. So yeah. it's not a time for you to, 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 I don't know, figure out, hey, this person doesn't think the way I think, so I'm going right. be, to <laughs> be mean to this person. You have to be able to create comfort and present facts and then work with people on different levels, regardless of what you believe and what they regardless of yeah that's right regardless of your differences absolutely right and this is as true in workplace culture as it is it is within this particular crisis is um you have to recognize you know and organizations tell great at saying our people are most important asset it's like are they though really because (laughs) if people were your most important asset then you'd make sure that empathy is is a default in every single manager within your business. One of the things we've seen with within um, within COVID is Corona kindness, right? It's it's yeah. it's it, it's kind of it's built emotional capital. It's built connection between people, which is fabulous, and we'll, I want to see that retained. But but every manager, if people are your most important asset, every manager should 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 be able to be empathetic, should know what it means, should know how to practice it. Yeah. And I, there's, there's so much that's happened during the pandemic that needs to be carried back into the workplace if organizations are, are to prove that they've truly learned from it. And I got to say, I'm not confident. You know, I'm a, I'm an optimistic realist, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I, I believe in, in the good of humanity. I believe that anybody can be anything and do anything. Um, but the realism is that often people just don't care enough to 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 want to do it, Teo. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm really trying to, I suppose I'm trying to help organizations see some of the benefits that we've seen of the changes that we've had as part of the crisis in the hope that they'll continue those practices um, moving forward. I, I hope so, too. You say you're an, um, <laughs> you say, I, I like the definition you described. I always describe myself <laughs> I describe myself as an angry optimist. <laughs> I'm so I like I'm so optimistic, but I feel like I I'm angry. It's because of my anger that I want to do something. And so um, I'm like, no, you can do better. No, that's not the truth. Can't, why are you mad? <laughs> you can do this. You can do this. You're in the way of you. You. Uh, yeah, I mean. <laughs> but yes, I, uh, it, it does lead for some frustrating times. But I, I, I'm with you on this because I do hope that people can take some of these translatable you know, experiences. I, 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 I have some of the same trepidations. But another thing that I was figuring out when I was doing research on you is you say you can use new projects to initiate cultural evolution. And can't think of any situation that is created more new <laughs> new projects than um covid so i'm curious mm. about that how could you how could new projects initiate cultural revolution well be- because because culture is made up of a series of subcultures, Teo. Uh, every you know what, what we try and do at an organisation level is try and set it at the top, usually using the wrong people to do it, and then say, right, this is your culture, and obviously people reject it. Um, every every team, every department within an organisation needs to set its own culture in in order to achieve the aspirations of the organisation. 
and so digital transformation particularly happened very very quickly um with 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 covid and so what you need to do and i worked with one team and this is you stand the team up and you get them to agree all of those good cultural elements that they need to be successful so that they can demonstrate how it's done now Digital transformation, which I want to just very briefly talk about. So digital is the strategy of the organization, right? Is to become more digital. The transformation piece is culture. And and most organizations don't get this. They think that digital transformation is implementing Microsoft Teams. Everyone seems to be doing that at the minute. Um, they think it's implementing new technology, but it's it's that's only part of it. In order to transform, what you need is to redefine the culture that you expect up front. So that when you embed the new tool into the the new culture, it's successful. Most organizations don't do that. Most organizations, when they start their projects, just, you know, they don't even plan. They're like, we just want this as soon as we possibly can. It's like, okay, well, for any project, you have to build a team, build a plan, then deliver the project. It works in that way. Um, And so building the team is all about, well, let's define the culture that we need to be successful, Um, you know, and then you can set the example, set the tone for the rest of the work that needs to happen, Teo. But this is the point that I make about organizations not really understanding culture because most most managers will will press the fast forward on creating the team. It's like, let's just do a plan and let's get let's get going. It's like, well, if you don't if you don't build if you don't build a team, ain't nothing going to get delivered. That's true. It's true. And the key thing there is a lot of people are on autopilot with new, with implementation of new things, right? Whether it's technology. Oh, yeah, we need it. Everybody in the office is getting this. Bam. (laughs) And then, you know, then you have people in the companies who some who know how to do it and some who don't know how to do it. And then people hate coming up on video. Some love coming up on video. And then that's causing random conversations where it could have been addressed if you said, hey, this is going to happen. We're moving towards this because we're going to be working with China. We're going to be working with um, India and then uh, West Coast in, in America. So we want to be able to find a way to create humanity. I understand there will be some, you know, resistance to change. So we, it, this is how we're going to redefine this culture. These are some of the FAQs in case you have those. And these are some of the behaviors that are accepted. You know, if you created those type of things where it's not like this added pressure, even if you are you're still met with some resistance, it will be taken in a lot better than just oh yep everybody got zooms webcams now let's go. Uh, at least that's what I've I've thought of it. But yeah 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 absolutely right. Um you know kind of what what we've seen what we saw uh, through COVID is people just saying exactly as you said we've got Zoom we're going to do a Zoom call every morning without really understanding why it's important how it's going to help the team collaborate everything became over Zoom when you know you really want a, a, a mix of interactions so defining those you know you can call them rules of engagement you can kind of call them whatever you want but essentially yeah. as long as the team get a say in how they're going to work together the behaviors they expect of each other, the aspiration that they have for this particular piece of work, how they're going to make time for creative thinking. If they haven't had a say in any of that, then it's not going to work. And what you'll end up is at some stage, you'll end up in this crisis situation within your project or within your business as usual, whatever it is that you're doing. And you'll wonder how you got there. And you got there because you didn't put the t- the deliberate time and effort into defining the culture. And you know what, Teo? People spend more money every year on computer monitors than they do on uh, defining the culture that they need to be successful. Or on people. 
they're, yeah. they're supposed to be yeah. assets. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> on, the, on the assets that are the most important thing. And yet we love our we love our silver bullet situations, uh, silver bullet solutions. We love going open plan. We love going agile. None of those things actually improve the way we work if people have still got fixed mindsets. Yeah, yeah. And to circle back to the earlier conversation when we talked about school, one of the and look, I'm someone that I come from. I'm Nigerian. The, the the expectation is you go to the highest level of education, or or else you're considered a failure. And <laughs> I and I got my MBA, but I didn't find any of those. I didn't think it was compulsory. I think it's it's necessary for some people, but I don't know that the the structure of the education system to bring back the people is suitable for every single person because there are people that love that structure and need that structure but you got to create an environment in school that allows creativity for allows for creativity with different types of kids to explore themselves and i i find that happening in education and in workplaces where you're stifling the creativity and the potential of people because of uh, an archaic system that might have been better during the industrial revolution Right, whether yeah. it's the nine to five hours or the, the the measuring of productivity or all those things, you got to be able to know the students and you got to be able to know the employees. I, I mean, that's what I I find. But it's, yeah. it's, it's it's true, you know. And and I'm not an education expert by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I I know for a fact that the skills that my kids are being taught at school probably 90% they'll never use. Um, they banned mobile phones in classrooms uh, in the state that I live in in Australia. And, you know, I, we're talking to some parents, they're like, oh, it's a good thing. It's like, it's a bad thing. Firstly, we should be teaching our kids how to leverage technology for good. And actually, right. there are so many people killed on the roads every year now through digital distraction. Actually, it'd be something to be really good to teach them in classrooms mm-hmm. is how to not, how to, you know, how to not be distracted by your device. That would, that would be a great. Or how about we give we help teachers develop the the technology skills to be able to deliver something that keeps kids' attention. You know, what we've seen during the Zoom classes, and, and of course, teachers are under pressure just like everybody oh, else. yes, is. they are. They absolutely are. You yeah. know, and, 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 you know, one of the great things to come out of the crisis is we're actually giving credit to some of those public servants that have never got the credit that they deserve. Right. But I don't think I don't think the education system has done enough to help embed different ways of teaching. So for example, you know, I watched a video from, from one teacher the other day, not one in, in uh, of our schools, who was using green screen technology to, to present his classroom. Mate, it was incredible. Now you and I as speakers know, you know, I've been doing green screen for, for, for some of my presentations. It's such a different way to engage people. And, and, but we don't teach these skills uh, in school. We don't teach these skills in the office. You know, one of the, one of the things I'm often asked to do is, is can you teach us how to motivate and inspire, you know, kind of a team? I was like, well, I can teach you, but there's a significant amount of personal change required if you don't do that right now. Um, and if you're up for it, you can totally do it. Yeah. Um, but most people generally aren't up for it because they've got onto that 21st century industrial revolution treadmill of command and control cultures. And they think that by shouting at everyone or micromanaging them, then that's the pathway to success. And it's and, not. It's not. And and, and I, I say this as a professor. I'm an adjunct professor. And, I, and I'm really passionate about uh, these two fields, education and workplaces. It's It comes down to how much the system is willing to invest in the people that they say they want to manage or lead. It, 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 I, 
me having, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion as a passion, I understand that different cultures learn in different ways. If you're going to teach a bunch of students the same way one culture learns, it that is beyond lazy as a system. <laughs> because so you're, true. you're going to because you're going to perpetuate whatever stereotypes or narratives you have because you're only looking at it from that lens. And and then, you know, it's just one of these these things that I think companies and, and I'm going to circle back to the work culture. I think work cultures need to do the same thing. And then the other thing that I've noticed with COVID is I think a lot of companies have realized that they could be more inclusive than they thought they were, because now they're companies that need to hire people are hiring people that are one immunocompromised or people that have different abilities. And all of a sudden, it doesn't matter if they can show up to the office. Hey, just, I just need you to be able to do this job. Uh, mm. It's OK. We'll find a way for you to do that. That type of thinking can be a new culture that I hope is extended post-COVID. Now, I, 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 I have a hope for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. But <laughs> those are the things that I'm talking about where I think people have, have been very rigid with how they define what they think their company culture, sh- culture should be as opposed to inviting collaboration to create a company culture that represents the 21st century. Totally agree. I couldn't agree more. They 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 very, very rigid. Um, they they got a flexible working program, but you still have to be online nine to five. And then there's deep suspicion when you're not on nine to five. You know, some of the things that we've seen during the crisis is, um, yes, flexible working became more mainstream, which is awesome. Empathy became important. Absenteeism is a good thing. If you're sick, don't be in work. Presenteeism is a bad thing. Uh, um, Take some time away from the screen, right? Previously to COVID, you know, we wore 60-hour weeks like a badge of honor. Change became easier. Technology got used in the way that it should do. People had to become comfortable with it and use it. Back-to-back meetings became unworkable, you know, because they are anyway. Senior managers became visible. We didn't waste time flying into state for a one-hour meeting. All of these things are all things that organizations it suddenly became easy to do within their cultures and yet the great cultures were doing all of those things prior to the crisis they were the ones that were able to pivot quickly they were the ones that that had no loss of productivity no loss of performance um and so you know you're kind of hoping that uh, organizations are, are now deliberate in the way that they redefine their working cultures to embed some of those things tail and so you know i'm already talking to organizations so here in australia we're like to reopen pretty much around about June. Mm-hmm. And so already organizations approach me going, okay, well, we will, when, when can we do this redefinition exercise? I'm like, well, we can do it right now. Oh, well, we're not ready. I was like, see, that's the thing with culture is it's going to evolve anyway. So yeah. you can never say that you're not ready. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm hopeful that they'll, they'll embed some of those learnings into the new way of doing things. I, I'm, I'm hopeful and I'm glad that the world has you because we need this. We need to create more, <laughs> more great places to work. Uh, you're you're a fellow uh, Wiley author. I I, I saw. Yeah. Uh, yes, I am. Yeah. I uh, I didn't I didn't think I'd ever write a book tale when I felt you know I've only been working for myself for just over five years and the first year was awful. Nobody wanted a bar of what I was talking about. And so I've written four <laughs> books in four years and I did two last year. Yeah, including uh, Culture Fix at the end of you the did year. Two last year. I did. Yeah, and I'm in the middle of writing another one right now. This is going to be my Corona baby. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, yeah, I'm, I'm in the middle of writing one now, but you're a prolific, you're way, you're just way more prolific. That's incredible. Okay. So, okay. So then where can people get Culture Fix, how to get, how to create a great place to work? 
they can get it on Amazon is is the best place right now. Um, they can get it on uh, Amazon uh, or any any online bookstores. You can yeah. get it. There. It's called Culture Fix: How to Create a Great Place to Work. And people can find uh, more about me at uh, colindellis.com. Or if, if we we set up a community, Teo, I didn't mention that um, because one of the things that uh, for me when I was in my job there was no virtual community where I could just go and share ideas and pick up personal learning. So we create one it's called culturefixcommunity.com um it's free to join um if you want to do some personal development there are some online programs there that you can pay to access um but yeah it's we've got 500 people from around the globe now sharing ideas on how to create great workplace cultures love it i love it i'll make sure i put that in the show notes uh this, this has been fun colin this has been fun colin i really enjoy uh your passion for this because i i, I think it's it's funny that a lot of companies don't think that they should be defining culture now, but I think this is as good a time as any, probably <laughs> yeah. the most important time to do so because it's a new normal. It's not going to return to the way it was, regardless of what happens. Yeah. That's so right. And they get one shot to do it well. And so it's I'm true. hoping they take it. That's true. That's true. Well, the last question I have before uh, you go is my mission statement reframed as a question. So, Colin, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Ah, what a great question. I, how do I use my difference to make a difference? Um, so uh, for me, my difference is that often that I've worked in workplace cultures for 30 years in three different countries in multiple sectors. And so what I do is I share the learnings and my own vulnerabilities in order to give people practical things that they can do to also make a difference to other people. Boom. Well said. Well said. <laughs> if I had a microphone, I'd drop it on the floor. But I, I mean, I you should have. <laughs> that was that was succinct, uh, succinct and concise. I love it. But no, I, I I can't express my gratitude enough for you. I I really think people should you know check out the book. I often say we we either go to school or some sort of education uh, and go to work for most of our lives. So it's very important that in these two institutions we understand how to experience the fullness of our humanity. And if you're a leader, it's very important that you create those spaces for that. So I'm glad that your book is out. I hope people can use it. And I'm excited for your Corona baby as well. (laughs) Thanks so much, Teo. It's been great to be on the show. Cheers. Pleasure is mine. And ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 